0: Hey, everyone. My name is Jeffrey Newberry. I'm a photographer that has photographed Trek personalities over the years, primarily for Entertainment Weekly and a personal project with Patrick Stewart. You are listening to Trek Untold.
1: Welcome back to Trek Untold, a Star Trek podcast that goes beyond the stars. I'm your host, Matthew Kaplowitz. I am very excited to tell you about who this week's guest is, but before we get to that, I actually want to give a quick shout out to something else. Just recently, I appeared on the podcast of one of my Patreon supporters named Brayden, and he has a show called The Epicurean Unicorn, which, as you can kind of tell from the name, has very little to do with Star Trek. However, Braden is a huge Trekkie, and wherever he finds ways to marry the two things together, he does so excellently. And in fact, he has had other Star Trek guests on previously, but that's a plug for a different episode here. But on a recent episode of the Epicurean Unicorn, I showed up there and talked to, talk to Brayden all about my time as a New York food critic. Because believe it or not, yes, for a brief shining time, I actually was a food critic in New York City. The episode has some really fun stories I don't normally get to talk about as much because, again, that is in the world of food, and this show is so very much Star Trek-centric. But if you want to hear a different side of me and learn about some food and also support one of our fellow patrons and a Trek Untold lover, go ahead and check out that episode of the Epicurean Unicorn, which I'm going to have a link for, by the way, in the show notes to make sure you don't miss out on it. It was a lot of fun to do. Brayden is an excellent host. I think you guys are going to really enjoy it, and it's also worth checking out, too, just to see the other members of the Star Trek podcasting community who've dropped by and talked about food with him. But as for this week's episode of Trek Untold, today is a really fun one because again I'm talking to someone who is a little bit outside of the typical world of Star Trek. Our guest on this week's episode is Jeffrey Newberry and Jeffrey is a photographer and in terms of the world of Star Trek we really don't see a lot of photographers running around canonically in the universe taking photos of things and really the only time I can think of it off the top of my head would be that one scene at the beginning of Star Trek Generations but photography and in particular still photography is a big part of what happens beyond just the filming of the shows and beyond just the universe of Star Trek. And Jeffrey's connection to Star Trek is actually quite a deep one, because as we're going to learn in this episode, not only was Jeffrey a super hardcore Trekkie growing up, he still is one to this day. And that love of Trek actually in some ways very early on in his career helped kind of direct him towards the path of photography. Jeffrey's connection to Star Trek actually comes a little bit later on in his career, but to kind of tell you a little bit about who he is first, Jeffrey is a well-known, highly recognized, and excellently regarded photographer who has shot all sorts of A-list celebrities, award-winning musicians, innovative CEOs, and so much more in between. His portfolio ranges from some true luminaries and legends in these many different industries, and its paths eventually did cross with Star Trek thanks to his magazine work. Jeffrey has had the opportunity to work with members of the original cast, the TNG cast, DS9, and Voyager to take pictures of them for various magazine shoots. In fact, certain magazines he shot for, he was pretty much the only photographer doing those things, so they essentially are his issues of photography. And Jeffrey's work is absolutely stunning. You're going to see some photos of it in the video version. And if you're listening to the audio version, I do recommend you check out my social media pages to take a look at some of the different photos that we're going to be talking about today because, man, they are absolutely worth taking a look at. So in this episode, we're going to talk to Jeffrey not only about his time on Star Trek and working with these various Star Trek actors, but also his road to photography, the tips and tools, the trade that he does to make his photos look the way they do, and really take a deep examination at some of these particular Star Trek photos, I get a chance to chat again, just like I did on the Epicurean Unicorn, about things that I don't normally get to talk to on this show about. Photography is one of my passions, and it's really fun to be able to chat with somebody like Jeffrey, who is so many levels above me, and I imagine that for a lot of amateur photographers out there who are listening to this podcast, you're going to be picking up a lot of interesting things that you maybe never considered for your photography, that I think you can use immediately for the next time you have a photo shoot to do. I should make a quick note, though, for anybody who is watching the video version of this episode, we do have a little bit of connectivity issues because Jeffrey is currently living out in Arizona. So, yeah, internet was not so great. So if you're watching it, basically the first half is pretty decent. And by the time we unfortunately get into the Star Trek talk... The video kind of turns into a little bit of a stop motion thing. It's not so great, but I do my best to cover it up with as many photos of his work as I can, so hopefully it won't be too noticeable. The audio, of course, is fine, so really no worries there for anybody who's just listening to the audio version, or if you're watching this on YouTube and you're just kind of looking at it in the background, shouldn't bother you at all. There's really nothing I can do to fix it, it just is what it is. But either way, I hope you guys enjoyed this really fun and very interesting chat with photographer Jeffrey Newberry as we take a true deep dive into the work he does and how it relates to the world of Star Trek. But before we start talking to this week's guest, I want to remind you guys to make sure you are following Trek Untold on all forms of social media. You can check us out on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, all at Trek Untold, and that's one word, Trek Untold, no spaces in between. That's the best way to stay up to date on who our guests are for the week, learn all about them before the show begins, and check out all the random memes I post, because yeah, I do a lot of that too. If you're in a position to financially support the show, please consider becoming a Patreon member head over to patreon.com slash Trek to see all the different ways you can help financially at different contribution levels. Some of the perks include early access to the episodes, having the chance to ask guests questions, and hopefully some more stuff that I'm going to figure out pretty soon. It is easily the best way to directly connect with me, as well as to meet other fans of this show. If you're looking to buy some Trek Untold merchandise, don't worry, that's going to be coming very soon. If you prefer to check out the video version of this podcast, head over to youtube.com slash today, where every Sunday I post these episodes in video format, which includes a lot of images and video from the guests I were talking to. But the most important thing you can do to help support this show is please leave us ratings and reviews if you're checking us out on iTunes, on Spotify, or other audio platforms that allow you to leave reviews and ratings, or by subscribing to our YouTube channel, as well as giving our Trek Untold videos thumbs up, likes, and comments. All these interactions help push our podcast to the very top of these different platforms to make sure more Star Trek fans can find us. It costs you nothing to do other than a few moments of your time, so please, if you haven't done that already, consider doing so. So, without further ado, let's go ahead and beam up this week's guest. Computer, access interview file. And welcome back to Trek Untold. And now joining us on the other side of the screen, all the way in lovely Arizona. Much nicer view than I've got here in New York. We've got photographer extraordinaire, Mr. Jeffrey Newberry. Jeffrey, how's it going today?
0: Good, thank you. Excellent.
1: Thank you so much for joining us here. And, uh, you know, we have many things to discuss, as I always do in this show. Uh, But I'd like to kind of kick things off by asking you the same question I ask all my guests. And that's, Jeffrey, uh, what is your earliest memory of Star Trek?
0: Oh, wow. I didn't expect that. Actually, um, I grew up on a farm in northern Wisconsin. And uh, so the television was almost like a god, you know, because that farm was isolated, very small dairy farm. And uh, Star Trek was on. And that was always one of my favorite things to watch, maybe besides Man from Uncle, Wild, Wild West, you know what I'm saying? That was that whole time. But Star Trek, of course, just like Lost in Space was on back then too. um, I would make sure I was in front of that television. You know, I was probably like 10, you know. So that's it, that's when I started watching Star Trek.
1: I know we're kind of jumping around here, but uh, you know, we're talking about you being a photographer as we're gonna discuss in this interview. And one Mm -hmm. thing I've always noticed at Star Trek is I don't really see too many photographers. I can't really think of too much photography in the future. I don't know what's up with that. Have you ever noticed that in Star Trek?
0: Yeah, and it's funny you bring that up because one of my favorite scenes in 2001 Space Odyssey is when that photographer comes in and when they're going up to the moon. Remember that scene?
1: Yeah. And he's got this little
0: box, right? And back then, of course, when that movie came out, I mean, it was like, what's what's that little box? Now we got the iPhone, you know? <laughs> I'm just <laughs> saying, about the 21st century,
1: stop. I guarantee you Leica will still be around. They'll still be making cameras.
0: Oh, 100%. Are you kidding they you know i mean i cannot wait for the new generation of cameras um even when the first iphone came out speaking of cameras really quick you know i mean i knew that this is the beginning of something really special you know in photography and the 13 right now doing what it's doing i mean all the cameras have always done a lot of progressive imagery you know but um When you put it, I did a shoot last night with the iPhone uh, for someone that wanted some new headshots. I just used my iPhone and they came out fantastic. I mean, it's amazing. You know, I mean, you can use it to where you can use any camera now and manipulate everything to make it work, you know. But outside of that, (laughs) I'm getting off on a rant.
1: That's what we do here. We're going to be uh, jumping all over the place. But let me, let me try and get us back on track for a few minutes. We'll see how it goes. Uh, and I'd like to get the, the secret origin story of Jeffrey Newberry. So uh, I'd like to know where you grew up, who your parents were, and what little Jeffrey wanted to be when he got older.
0: Well, I think it goes hand in hand with my last story about watching Star Trek. I was on this little dairy farm in northern Wisconsin, Phillips, Wisconsin. It's, my mom is still there. The farm is still there it's not a working farm anymore it's 80 acres and that whole northern wisconsin area now has been taken up by corporate farming you know there's only one or two major milk producers up there and they if they don't own the land they rent it And that's what my family still does is now rent to the corporate farmer right but the house is still there and I, i'm staying there this summer i go back every summer I, I jump in that little river that i jumped in when i was a kid the little elk you know and, um, but the inspiration of television and Star Trek for me uh, was really, I think that was, that was the seed. You know, I mean, even then, I was writing to Hollywood to get headshots from my favorite actors, and they would come in the mail. They'd come in that mailbox out there on Highway D, you know, and I had them up in my bedroom. And I cannot remember getting Star Trek, actually, in all honesty. I know I'm surprised I didn't. But I do remember having all the other ones, like Man from Uncle and stuff. And then, of course, the Beatles came along and the Beatles kind of took over them. You know, you know, I I was getting all the Beatles stuff. But um, so my mom, um, hardworking woman, basically raising a bunch of boys. You know, I'm the oldest. She's the one who basically raised us, besides my grandparents, which is where the farm thing comes in. I never even had to talk about that before, so it's kind of interesting to think about it.
1: (laughs) It's one thing to look at the past because you really can't even tell what's going on in the future, right? But uh, I think it actually kind of ties in with you because you're talking about getting these headshots from Hollywood, and here we are now, your career much later on. You're taking headshots of Hollywood people.
0: No, no, and that's the weird thing about it, right? Or the or the amazing thing about it is that um, make trying to make a long story short is. I I left the farm when I was 12 years old. I'm not going to go into all the the dramas and all the family stuff. I was brought out to the state of Washington. And then at 16, I was brought up to Alaska, of all things, right? And when I was up in Alaska, uh, as much as I, including being on the dairy farm, I mean, it's a very challenging environment, (laughs) you know, especially for someone like me, because I'm, I think more urban, I think, from even being from the farm and from Alaska. I'm more of an urban type person in or cosmopolitan. I'm not sure how you would describe that. I like forward-thinking people. I like te- I love technology, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? And um, it was when I was in high school up in Ketchikan, I discovered the camera, you know, I mean, in truth. And uh, I was a senior. And then I went back to Wisconsin ball places for different reasons. Uh, after high school, actually to see my dad, and I ended up staying there in the dead of winter, w- working on a cranberry farm to make ends meet. And I'm like, I can't do this for much longer, man. It's forty below zero, and et cetera, et cetera, right? So the only place to get an education in photography in 1973 was Milwaukee, Wisconsin. As far as being staying in Wisconsin. And uh, that's where I went. And I got my first degree in photography from uh, Wisconsin. And I went back to Alaska and worked a while. And then I went back to Southern Illinois and got my uh, my BFA in photography. And then I ended up in San Francisco right after that because San Francisco was a a known hub of fine art photographers. That was just that, that reputation back then. And so was New York, of course, and L.A., but they didn't attract me. I wanted to go to San Francisco, and that's where I ended up, and I was there for up until I moved here two years ago for, man, 40 years. You know, I still go back and forth. But, yeah, I ended up collecting headshots as a kid, and I've I've shot a zillion of them myself now in Hollywood, you know um,
1: so you mentioned that you were going uh, to school for fine arts photography, but uh, did you, at one point did you start doing yeah. more commercial stuff? I mean, was your intention to do more commercial stuff, or do you want to do the fine arts? No, I thought journalism?
0: it was good question. I thought I was, uh, my intent was to be a fine art photographer. Um, you know, I did my math. I came to San Francisco to, to do my graduate work, which is where I went uh, San Francisco State, my master's. Of course, that was all fine art, whatever. Subject or, you know, direction you take your thesis. But uh, while I'm in graduate school, my buddy who didn't do graduate school, and we both moved out from Southern Illinois, he wanted to be a commercial photographer. And so he was assisting commercial photographers in San Francisco, right? And I was watching him do that, you know, and I was, it didn't really attract me. You know, it's a matter of fact, I only assisted one photographer in my whole life. And that was through my buddy, Mark, because he goes, we need somebody else. Can you come here and be the second assistant? And I'm like watching this guy photograph toys from New York. Of course. And, And I'm like, this guy was flown out and he's getting paid how much to photograph these toys, you know? And I was flat ass broke. You know, I've been broke for a decade going through colleges, right? And um Mark goes, uh, I heard that Macy's is hiring. He he just told me that. And I go, okay. I grab, what am I having here? I grabbed these big prints I was doing for my thesis. And my thesis back then in graduate school was uh the my instructor called it eroticism. I didn't think of it as eroticism at all. I still don't. I, I've been looking at all my stuff here since the two years I've been back. That's what I'm actually doing here is going through my archives. But um, I grabbed these prints. I put them in a box. I go down to Macy's. Didn't even make an appointment. I didn't know anything about that. And I want to see the art director. The art director, yeah, come on in. I'm bringing out these prints and he's looking at these these prints. He's like, wow, you're really good. He goes, but I can't hire you. I go, why not? He's like, we photograph shoes and clothes and jewelry. And, you know, if you bring in something that I can hire you from, a photograph, and it's good as these are, I'll give you a job, right? And lo and behold, I had somebody want me to photograph just by, you know, however, somebody, my neighbors wanted me to photograph a ring for them, a ring. And I took a leaf and I floated it, made it float in this little pond and I put this leaf on it and I made a little platform of, of well, anyway, the sculptural thing. And I put this, this ring on there and I, I shot it. And I'm like, wow, I got one shot. I go down the Macy's, his name was Brian. I go down the Macy's, it's says one four by five chrome. And I'm like, what do you think? And he goes, Beth, give Jeffrey Newberry the next two pages of jewelry, right? right? <laughs> And that's the way it started. But I didn't know what I was doing. I had no idea about stylus. I had no idea about assistance. You know, the whole thing. I was completely green. And it took me, I mean, the stress from that job alone, you know, because I had to figure out how to even light a bunch of jewelry. You know, it was crazy. That's how I got my start in commercial work. All right. And yeah, well. the money, the money, the money was the key, though, in all honesty. But as as things progressed more, I was starting to do, um, I hit the magazines up, you know, because even San San Francisco Magazine was my first shoot for a commercial shoot for a magazine. And I'm looking at this magazine, I'm like, wow, this is kind of, they're using cool photographers, you know. And I did an infrared black and white shot for a a girl with a wine glass, you know, glowing away in in the shadows, you know. And. And I just, OK, I, I thought that's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to make art for my clients, you know. But what does happen as you get more successful, you get an agent. Agents are about money, which is good and bad. Before you know it, you're shooting a lot of stuff you don't even want to photograph. You know, you're just, you're a machine. You know, you become a machine, really. And I think it happens to everyone. And um, <clears throat> You have to, I had a hard time at, at that time photographing just jeans or something, you know, over and over again every day. And they were paying me so much money.
1: You wanted to challenge yourself, basically.
0: It was a challenge. Yeah. Yeah. So that's how that happened.
1: Well, so looking ahead a little bit, you know, we're talking about now you're you're coming from the fine arts world. Now you're doing some product shots. You're doing some commercial photography uh, along this road. How does Jeffrey Newberry find his way into now working for magazines, taking photos of celebrities, musicians? I mean, where does that road begin?
0: Good question. It happened quite a while ago. That was in the, uh, the mid 80s. You know, it, it, it didn't take too long for some odd reason. I mean, I was a very hard worker. I still am. I mean, if I wasn't making a photograph of something every day, something was wrong, you know? And it didn't have to be for someone else. You know, I just, I had to be in the dark room all the time. I love the dark room. I don't have a dark room at the moment. I'm, I'm thoroughly engrossed in, in digital and stuff now, you know? But um, I was shooting for, you know, San Francisco Magazine. Then the Examiner hires me in San Francisco. And then it just kept snowballing. I shot for Math World Magazine a ton. PC World Magazine, they were all in San Francisco. I didn't have to go anywhere. They were all there, right? They're not there anymore, you know? And uh, so it was, it was a perfect time for me to jump into it and especially the, commu- the computer magazines and I didn't even know anything about computers. You know, they like, we want you to make a photograph about uh, the, f- the files for the Mac. And I'm like, well, what's files, right? <laughs> And I wish I wish I had some of the shit here, but it's kind of like I'm like files, okay, you know. And so I'm, if I could shoot infrared film, if I could shoot grain, if I could shoot shadows, and I just kept on doing that kind of stuff, and I would do illustrated photography for these ideas, you know. And that's how I got my fine art satisfaction.
1: Yeah, you're very much combining those two things together.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I still. That's just who I am. It's like even the shoot last night with the iPhone turned out very arty, you know, for lack of a better description, you know. Um, I really don't like that word that much, but that's kind of how you have to describe it sometimes, you know? especially when it's done for a purpose that the end product's gonna be used commercially, you know. <clears throat>
1: Well, let's talk about what your first, uh, let's say, we're talking about the headshots. You're talking about taking some photos with celebrities. Uh, let's talk about maybe what the very first time was for you when you had to work with a celebrity. I mean, tell us who that was, if you remember. And were you intimidated? Was it daunting? What was that experience like?
0: Intimidated a lot by celebrities, in all honesty. Um, because, I, and I think it becomes from my from my childhood, you know, because celebrities, to me, were in that magic box in the living room that was in California. I'm in Northern Wisconsin freezing my ass off as a little boy watching my grandfather melt cows. I remember, I can, I can remember some, like for example, Tom Waits, it was like in the late 80s. Now I'm sure I shot a few notables before that. Oh, Doug Tompkins of the street. Um, I remember when I got that shoot from San Francisco Magazine, it was one of my first real portrait shoots and that's actually probably a very early portrait celebrity. And he wasn't really a celebrity, but he actually is a celebrity. You know what I'm saying? He's not a television celebrity. I mean, the guy started a Spree, you know what I mean? And, uh, and others, but I developed that film. I shot one roll of film at a Spree in San Francisco, went back to my house, my flat in Noe Valley and developed that roll of film myself, a color roll because I didn't even have the money to bring it to a lab, you know? So that's kind of an earliest one for kind of some kind of a notable person, but somebody that a lot of people would know about just off cuff would be somebody like Tom Waits, musician. And I remember when that shoot came in and somebody calls me up and goes, Hey, we heard you're doing this and that. And you want to go shoot Tom Waits? Uh, he's doing a video down on Broadway. We need somebody there for two days behind the scenes. And I'm like, great. I love Tom Waits, you know, but here's Tom Waits sitting next to me. And it's <laughs> It is his voice, you know, and talking to me. And I'm just like, (gasps) you know, I was in awe about the guy. I mean, he's just an amazing individual, you know. But, um, you know, as time goes on, you get really used to being around really dynamic, creative people, you know. And that's what a lot of celebrities are. Very What I like about, say, Los Angeles is it's very professional for the most part. You know, you get somebody like Patrick Stewart walking in front of you. And or Keanu Reeves or whatever. And you could just tell them and they'll just it's just instant. You know, it's not like going to say this woman I photographed last night. She's young, too. she'd never really been photographed very much. But she needs these commercial shots here in Tucson, you know, and someone like that is, you know, you have you have to co- get them. You have to mold them into the place, direct them a little you know? bit more a lot of a lot of direction not that i don't direct my actors because they love being directed (laughs) and and that was a learning thing too i could you can almost tell them anything and most of them will do almost anything you ask you know a lot of them will cut it at certain points
1: well that kind of leads me to a question i had in fact on that topic Uh, which would be, you know, we're gonna talk about a lot of the folks you've worked with, and I'm just gonna name a few names just so our our listeners and our audience knows, but you mentioned Tom Waits, uh, you know, there's Tupac, you work with Carlos Santana, Leonard Cohen, Rogers Water, Limp Biscuit. This is, you know, a lot of pretty big luminaries in the music world, not even talking about actors yet, but, um, you know, I'd like to know how much of your job as a photographer doing these portraits is, uh, you know, I don't wanna say babysitting or directing necessarily, but, you know, all these people have very different personalities, and they all react to things very differently. So how much of your job is just being able to be a photographer and doing what you want to do versus how much of it is your job to then make them become moldable to what you want to do and make them interact and work with you.
0: They go hand in hand. Um, and it's interesting uh, you asking that because it makes me reflect on uh, how I do want to photograph people. Uh, and, and that changes, you know, I mean, I even look at my work right now and I look at all the all the stuff I've done over the decades, you know, and it's, like I mentioned earlier, that's why I'm here in Tucson which, with the house that I got working here is to go through my archives, you know, I mean, and, and I'm still astounded, but I got them sitting right here, you can't see them, but I got zillions of photographs sitting here, things that I photographed back in, you know, I mean, you go, you know, this guy's a screenwriter from, I'm not sh- from, I'm not sure it was the X-Files, maybe. And here, I'm going to use this one. I didn't mean to, but if you, you know, I posed him like that, right? This guy's not going to do that for me, (laughs) but unless you ask him to. But babysitting, you come up, you mentioned Limp Bizkit. Fred Durst is that guy. (laughs) (laughs) Or Metallica, let's say Metallica. When I was shooting Metallica, you know, it's like you got the camera and, you know, they got there. They look like they're going to F you up, right? These guys, they got, (laughs) no, really. They're looking at you like, I'm going to kill you. You know, that's their, that's their look. But as photographer, you know, you're like, okay. uh," (laughs) Every shot is where they're going to, they look like they're going to beat you up, you know, where Tupac, I, I worked with him so that he he could not only get his personality out. I always look for the personality, but um I knew he needed some molding. And I'm not saying because Tupac, I'm not sure if you know about the museum show right now in, in, in LA. You know, that about two-thirds of the work in that in that museum is mine, right?
2: Yeah. And um uh,
0: but um, you know, the guy was becoming an actor and 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 he liked, he did, I could tell, he liked to be told kind of how to look, but then he would take it over, you know. Next thing you know, he'd be doing something after you told him to do one other thing or to look a certain way, and then he just took it and then kind of brought it into his life, you know. And that was uh, something with Pac versus, say, Metallica. Metallica was like, they're gonna stand there and they're gonna go, and that's just what they're gonna do, (laughs) Yeah. I'm not sure if that answers the question or not, but it's, it's, uh, people are different every time you get someone in front of your camera. And that's part of the, not only a challenge, but that's what inspires me. You know, I mean, I feel very privileged to be a photographer. I've been around the world photographing just amazing people in amazing places, you know, and uh, it's made me see the world different, you know, without that. Uh, I'm not sure what kind of person I would have been, you know,
1: I want to kind of, uh, follow up on that idea a little bit more and kind of explore a little bit further before we start jumping into our Star Trek right. talk here. Uh, right. and you know, I'd like to kind of ask you about, we're talking about now personality of the photography, let's say per, the personality of the photos. So, you know, you are a, from the artistic photo background. So your kind of goal of mine is something that's a little more high art, more concept, But you're also shooting for a client. And the client has things they want you to do. They have something in mind, I assume. So uh, I'd like to know, basically, can you balance that? Are you able to balance basically what you want to do and what the client is telling you to do? And then also what the subject is going to let you do? How do you make this kind of perfect marriage to make all the pieces come together?
0: Man, that's complex.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's what we do here. This isn't just a Star Um... Trek show. (laughs) We dig.
0: And it's all true everything you said has to happen to make the photograph. I mean, great perception on your part. I, mean, I mean, even photographers sometimes don't even understand that. I think, I mean, I'm serious, you know? Um, and those are things that I'm going to get, I'm going to go back to my undergraduate degree really quick. I had an amazing instructor, David Gilmore was his name. Still, he's not teaching anymore. And he did teach portrait class. And the reason I want to bring that up, and it actually even correlates with, say, the file system photograph I was talking about with Macworld. There's a place for me when I can, when I bring my camera up, and say I'm going to photograph you right now, right, where I can, I can start to feel it. You can, you can just feel it, you know, similar with last night when I was doing the iPhone uh, portraits, um, and that place that I talk about feeling it is really something that I was always searching for. And I, I discovered it in portrait class through David. Just that guy never gave me an A. It was always an A minus. He's one of those guys, right? I had one I'm of like, those. Damn it. Yeah, right. But he knew you're, He knew that he had to do that to you, you know? And it was like, uh, but back then when you're like 22 years old or whatever, you're, at, you're just like, <laughs> <laughs> but you know what, man, I finally started understanding what a portrait was about two thirds of the way into that semester. To me, that understanding was that I kind of like, it was kind it once again, it was a feeling. It was like, I had this, I was able to get this feeling from this person that would allow them to come out to the camera more, you know, whether I had to like you, you use the word babysitting, whether I had to use some kind of like, conversation, get down on my belly and shoot up on them to get them, you know, just different techniques, almost to kind of get them at ease, you know, Um, a lot of people, even even actors, actually don't like still photography, you know, they would rather be in front of a moving camera, you know, I mean, that way they don't have to sit there and like this, you know, the confidence you have to bring into a shoot when you're hired uh, and I kept reminding myself that, especially in the earlier years, that they're looking at my photographs, they hired me from my photographs, and I'm going to give them what they see in their photographs. The greatest challenge was when they would actually, I'd get a client, and they're like, well, we don't want that. They, they would say that to you. I'd like, well, what do you want? Well, we want something like this. And you look at what they want, and it's garbage. <laughs> You know <laughs> but they that's want the you, to do it. yeah, but they want you to do it, you know, and I'm like, that's when it got really hard, it got really hard then, you know and and so I tried to be more sensitive to i've I've never I don't think I've ever well no I have I've turned down a few jobs, you know, but my my personal integrity is I really don't turn down jobs, you know. I'll do three sheets a day and get five hours of sleep at night or whatever, you know, that's back in the heydays. That's when I was, you know, super, super busy all the time. Uh, in all honesty, you know, between the recession, between dot-com going down in San Francisco, the recession, and now COVID, it's it's been a little bit lean, you know. It's leaned out. But at my age and what I want to do right now with photography and whether it's an NFT site, the Cochran Shapiro site. um, And that's not stopping. I'm, I'm building and building and building. I just need, I, I need a little bit of a team around me right now, but I'm still a one man show because I want my archives to be expanded into how I've always really envisioned them. You know, you look at say one person, Tom Waits, I've shot Tom three times over the years. I have, right here. Can you see this man, Jeff? Yeah. Yep. That box. That's the Trek box. <laughs> all this film in here is all the Trek shoots, right? This one's Trek. Now, Tom Waits, I have maybe a stack of film from three shoots about this much. I'm not sure how many images that would be. But I, I would say 1500 images, maybe more. You know, and then you start to get that little white table and you start editing, like, oh my god, look at that image. Oh my god, look at that one. Before you know it, you got a whole damn gallery, right? And that's what I'm that's what I'm doing though now. I love it. And that's the problem when you get really busy. You have your assistants slide up the film back in the day when it's all film. Goes out to the client, comes back to the client, and you put it in the shelf. You don't even look at it. You just shoot the damn thing, you know? And now I'm looking at all my stuff for really the first time. I mean, I'm just looking at what i've done you know and uh and then i have my i have two daughters you know and i put everything into a trust <clears throat> and believe me man they both know they don't want to deal with this stack of stuff i got <laughs> when, I, when i exit <laughs> so
1: uh, well, i feel your pain i gotta sorry to... about that i'll tell you off air <laughs> <laughs>
0: So it's kind of like you know, man. I'm I'm trying to get through a lot of this so that they don't have to do it. Make some money from it. Um, The Tupac exhibit's great, you know, uh, things like that. That's you know, but bringing a shoot together through all these different angles that you talked about, it can be it can be a challenge sometimes. But um, the place I go to, just as I mentioned, is is trying to make the best photograph I can make, you know, within the situation. And I don't care if that's a pair of jeans from Levi's to making a portrait of, you know, a Star Trek actor, you know, but um, it's still a learning experience. It really is. And photography's photography has always been like that.
2: Trek Untold will return momentarily. Trek Untold is brought to you by Triple Fiction Productions. Triple Fiction Productions produces affordable and unique 3D-printed Trek-inspired products from The Original Series, Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, Voyager, Enterprise, and The Movies. Ranging from prop replicas to use in a fan film or cosplay, to accessories or playsets for figures in all different sizes, Triple Fiction Productions has got you covered. Past pieces for toys have included large centerpieces, like Ten Forward from the Enterprise D, Shuttle crafts complete with working lights and the voyager bridge with smaller pieces including borg alcoves the genesis device and the dreaded arch enemy of wharf barrels all highly detailed products are 3d printed and hand painted in the usa with new items added all the time while simultaneously improving their printing quality based on fan feedback. To learn more about their products, visit triple-fictionproductions.net or visit them on Facebook at facebook.com slash triplefictionproductions. Want to get 10% off your next purchase? Use code UNTOLD10 at checkout to receive this discount. Not applicable during sales or clearance events. That's code UNTOLD10 to get 10% off action figure dioramas, accessories, and prop replicas. Triple Fiction Productions, taking Star Trek where no 3D printer has gone before.
3: Hey, I'm Licia Naff, a.k.a. Ensign Sonia Gomez from Star Trek TNG, and now Captain Sonia Gomez on Lower Decks with her own ship, the Archimedes. Yay! I finally got a promotion after 25 years. So anyway, I'm here to talk about drivebydougaders.org. It's a little charity I run where we go to the outskirts of Skid Row and from our car windows, we hand out basic human essentials like water, wipes, cold stream cheese, socks, tarps, masks, t-shirts, things to keep people warm. So we just think that everyone deserves clean water, some protein, and a way to clean themselves, especially during Corona. We also hand out masks to those who really, really need it, who live in tents on the street, mainly the disabled and elderly who have a really hard time getting to services. We do all of this with no agenda, just pure giving, no overhead. If you'd like to go to the website and donate, it's. 100% 100% tax deductible. And if you click on the donate button, you can go right to the $35 option and pick a signed autograph picture of either the Star Trek The Next Generation or Lord X or Total Recall where I played the three-breasted mutant hooker on Mars and uh, that's the X-rated version. Put in the comments section your address and anything you'd like me to write and I'll personally inscribe it and mail it off to you immediately. And again, that's and Ensign, I mean, Captain Sonia Gomez, signing off.
2: We now return to Trek Untold.
1: So, Jeffrey, let's kind of focus a bit on the Star Trek stuff now. Because, you know, we just saw the box you have, which is filled with photos. So uh, I'd like to kind of bring you, again, you know, we're talking secret origins now. Uh, So how did you end up getting the gig to shoot Star Trek? And what was that very first Star Trek-related gig?
0: Patrick Stewart.
1: Oh, so it started Um, with the captain right away.
0: Right off the bat, man. As I told you earlier about my childhood watching Star Trek, I was a tr- Star Trek fan, and I watched Next Gen all the time. I had a little apartment at my studio, and I always was uh, in the evenings. I'd watch television off and on, and Next I knew the programming of the Next Gen show, so I always watched it. I loved it, you know. It's just incredible writing and acting, as they all are, you know. And um, when that when that shoot came in, I was already um, going down to Hollywood. Now, see, it was, it's interesting how my career, I wasn't really pushing to go to Hollywood. In all honesty, I really wasn't. I was really content in San Francisco. Um, and I still love that city uh, and the, the whole area, the Bay Area. So when I started getting shoots to go down to LA, fortunately, they were hiring me for the kind of art photographer I kind of was an M, and that was entertainment weekly magazine right rolling stone a little bit that was that was leonard cohen and entertainment weekly um started little be known to me were putting me in this place like he's going to be our west coast photographer right not rolling stone as much because they had their la shooters down there matthew ralston and herb ritz and you know but uh, entertainment weekly had this uh, editor, Mary Dunn, and she. that's a weekly magazine. So she was overseeing every editor in that magazine. And I think there were like eight of them. You know, you had television, you had movies, you had novels. You know, the list goes on, right? And she told them all, if we're going to do a shootout there, you use Jeffrey, right? (laughs) And that was great for me because it was a weekly magazine. And before I know it, man, I'm just... Up to my neck, doing all these people, you know, just shooting all these things, and um, and I loved it. Uh, but Patrick was the first one, and that's how I got down there and was through Entertainment Weekly. And it's not, you know, it's not this portrait, right? But this one came right on the, right on the footsteps of of uh, I think they just were doing a spot on the on the first time I met Patrick. And then they had me go down shortly after and to do a cover of him after I did the interior shot, which was for a different issue. And, uh, man, that was great because that I got to go to the Paramount set and hang out. I I sat in the captain's chair,
1: (laughs) you (laughs) You know. You actually did it. Most people I've talked to, they, they're they too afraid to go sit in that seat. I wouldn't do it, but you actually did it.
0: Oh, man. The place was empty. I mean, we're, we're in the set. It was my assistant and I, and it was the big black curtain, you know, sparkling away with the, you know, the fake stars, you yep. know? And, uh, you know, we go over to the doorway, you know, you can see where you pull it open, you know, for, you know, that whole thing. Now I'm like, Chris, I'm going to go sit in the captain's chair. I don't, I think there's a photograph of me somewhere on that, you know, but I went and I sat in the captain's chair, you know, that was cool. Um, and then, you know, who comes walking in Gates McFadden, right? <laughs> Gates comes walking in, and she's like, Oh, like that, you know? And I'm like, Gates, can I photograph you? You know, Patrick's not here yet. Oh, okay. And she was great. Her and I clicked. And, um, we did some great photographs with that curtain. She goes, man, I hope the, I hope the studio doesn't get pissed off at me because I was wrapping her up in this curtain, you know, with the scars moving around her and stuff like that.
1: <laughs> I think that's one of like, the most important things I learned in my own world of photography is basically you do something until they tell you not to do it. And that kind of sounds like, you know, that's yeah. what you're doing right there.
0: You got to keep going, man. And uh, sometimes, you know, I would leave shoots and, you know, you probably have the same feeling. I'd leave a shoot. And I'm like, damn it, I should have did that. You know, it happens all the time, right? Yep. Oh, I should have done that. You know, you just want to turn your car around and go get it again.
1: So at this time that you're taking all these photos, I'm kind of curious to know what your equipment was. And I assume back then, this is still uh, film. This is still actual film, right? So can you tell me what your camera body was, what lenses you were typically using? What was the setup for you?
0: Um, you know, I was really into to save darkroom time uh, in particular, and also for the aesthetic. And I'm going to grab this magazine again, because we're even print. The magazine and the print are shot on PoloGraph's Polaroid film back then, right? It's a slide film. And they made that film for copywork, high contrast. That's why this image is so contrasty. <laughs> ah,
1: okay. So I was wondering about that.
0: Yeah. But see, I love that. I print like that in a dark room. Um, But the tonalities that this film would give you when, when it went from the whites to the blacks, I just, I just was always just incredible for me to see that. And it would drop the blacks out to where it was just pure black. I just love that, you know, it's very, very much like um, a
1: posterized effect on it.
0: Yeah. Um, Also you shoot the stuff, you know, pre-digital, of course, now you look at your back digital, but back then, of course, you had a polaroid that's ninety minutes' I mean, ninety seconds. but the other thing is is that it's this was on thirty five millimeter, so you didn't even have polaroids. it's not going to give you anything close to this, but that stuff develops in forty five seconds, right? you put it in a little container, you go did out it comes man forty five seconds later and actually, just to jump back to that was how Tupac, Tupac, when he seen me do that on the first roll I shot with him, that guy went ballistic. I'm not kidding. I'm like, whoop. and that film came out I go, Pac, look at this. And it was all these double exposures. I did it with him, you know, and he just started dancing and hooting and hollering. <laughs> it was like, he's like, man, you're shooting my next album, Just like that. I'm like, okay. You know, and I did, you know, but, um, during those days, depending upon the shoot, if it was a shoot that I could be a little bit more aggressive with, like that cover, using Polograph film and very contrasty um, imagery, I'd be shooting like a Canon T90, and I would probably have anything from a 24 millimeter on it to an 85 millimeter. Um, I didn't own many lenses, and I still don't. I have more lenses now than I've ever owned for my digital cameras uh my film cameras though i had i had a 24 millimeter a 50 millimeter macro and an 85 millimeter that's all i had for almost two decades you know the uh but the other my other favorite camera to shoot with uh during that those whole that whole time era was um the mamiya uh, 6x7 pro and um that's an amazing you know, you got the Bellow system, and, of course, you got the transparency that's a 6x7. Beautiful rendition. You know, that, that gives you that high-end commercial feel, you know. So, yeah, it was the T90 and, and the Mamiya, but most of the Trek stuff. Well, can I go over here and get a magazine really quick? Yeah, sure, sure. <laughs> you know, the Trek issue, right, which I shot. And um, let's just see what we can find in here. Okay, Avery Brooks, 35-millimeter T90 with polograph film, right? We jump over to here to Mark Leonard, Mamiya 6x7, double exposure, large format. And this, this was, Brent was a, uh, the Canon T90 with, um, um, it was a Polaroid film, but it was the high contrast color copy film. And it actually has these lines in it this was a multiple exposure I did with the Mamiya six by seven three exposures on one piece of film gates here that was you can see the square this was I wonder if I had my um another system I used to carry around with me was Veronica SQA which I really liked and the reason I liked the Veronica SQA is because it had a motor drive on it so does the Mamiya but um I always instructed my assistants this is probably going to nail this question for you I always instructed my assistants to have different systems set up for me all around me because it was film, right? You always had to load the damn back. If you're changing the lens, there's downtime. Even if it's 10 seconds of downtime, that's 10 seconds, yeah. you know, when you only got somebody in front of you for 15 minutes and some it's a lot like that. So I would have my 35, I might even have my two and a quarter. And I would have, let's say I'm, my primary was my, my Mamiya six by seven. I'd be shooting with that Back's got to come off. Another back's got to come off. I would just hand it over to my buddy, Chris, my assistant at the time. He was with me for 10 years. Give it to Chris and I'd pick up a 35 and keep shooting, even though it had different film stock in it. But I already knew the exposure differences and all that kind of stuff. So that was how I worked. I worked a lot like that. Okay. And that's one reason I have a lot of material on all these different people. I just didn't stop, you know, <laughs> and I also knew different, different lenses and uh Film stocks, I, I I tried never, you know, when I was, when I only shoot one film stock, I feel like I short shortened the shoot somehow for the subject matter and myself. I didn't explore it enough, you know?
1: Yeah. I think that's kind of like one of the, the fascinating parts of portrait photography is that, you know, we're not talking about portraits as in when someone brings their baby to get baby photos. That's not what we're talking about. You're talking about, you know, working with people who are moving around, they are performing for you. So it's very much, you know, in spite of the fact that you're in a studio setup where, you know, there's all this pre-planning that has to happen to make these shoots work. Uh, it's very much still about trying to get spontaneity out of the subject, right? So uh, I'd like to hear a little bit about how you work with, uh, in particular, the Star Trek actors to find that personality and find that spontaneity to get that personality to shine in a single photo.
0: Well, you know, <clears throat> in trying to answer that question, it's like William. this shot of William Shatner. Can you see that? Okay. Yeah. That, that is shot on a, uh, tripod with a Mamiya six by seven system. And that's a triple exposure on one piece of film right here. Um, now when, when I was doing this series and I did this kind of look, you know, this, this star Trek, by the way, the star Trek issue, you talk about being a little bit intimidated. <laughs> Going back into earlier, you know, these guys, they, one after another, these guys are coming into the studio. And I look over. I try not to look up. I look over, and there's eight of them sitting there from like four different shows. You know, it's a trip. You know, it's a trip. I mean, um, and then I, and then at the same time, just to veer off here a little bit, I have the magazine calling me during this montage of photography, you know, of all these actors. And, and uh, they're like, okay, you need to get William Shatner and Patrick Stewart together. I'm like, okay. I look over here at Patrick Stewart sitting over there and William sitting over there. They're not even, they're not even talking. <laughs> you know? I mean, they don't want to talk. <laughs> don't ask me why. I didn't want to get into those psychologists the psychological thing about it, you know, but it was like, I'm instructed to try to get that shot, you know? So I walk over to, first I walk over to William. I'm like, man, how do you feel about, you know, doing a portrait with Patrick? He's like, yeah, okay, great. Walk over to Patrick. Patrick, think about doing a do a portrait with uh, William. Oh, I'm not going to do that. You know, I'm not going to do that. I'm like, great. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> It didn't happen. It didn't happen. You know, but um back to trying to manipulate people into a photograph. And sometimes it is a manipulation. And that's what I was trying to talk about right there. Uh,
1: okay.
2: That
0: one didn't happen. You know. But um you look at John here. You know, they're all they're all great people, you know, and uh um uh, I had the camera set up so I knew I was gonna get a tight shot of his face. That was just one of many shots I got of John. But I knew that shot was gonna be a tight shot. And I told him, I just tell him, I said, John, you're like this. I said, I need different facial expression. I need different gaze on your eyes, anything else you can come up with. And he brought up his finger and did that, you know? And that, that's how that shot happened. And Nichols, now, <clears throat> The shot on my website, I love of her, the one where she's dancing, you know yeah, that I was shot? ask
1: about that one that's a great shot oh
0: that yeah that, that's how she came on set, right wow. and i i'm I'm like way back, big drop going out like a I think I was on in a psych, you know and um and she goes walking on set, and I go, dance, that's all I said, dance. Like that. And I'm on a tripod and she just goes, she just starts going, you know, just click, 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 Caught it. Caught it. You know, then I had to get very studied with her because these were part of my other idea that I wanted to do with every actor on the Star Trek. You know, it's like, you can see the difference in my, in my approach. Right.
1: We're talking about the double exposure photos, right?
0: Yeah. Well, these are all double exposures, you know, but at the same time, these are very close up double exposures where every actor, I kind of wanted to bring in the idea of space and time be- behind them, you know, and that's, so I had these projections of, of galaxies and star clusters and, you know, uh, and then I would do, I would do a shot of, of, uh, of her in silhouette. That's what's back here. And then I would place her within the silhouette because I knew it was black and I could do another exposure in there. Right. And, and I would, I would. Tell them what I was doing, you know, and uh, that is what. Just so I don't forget to say this, but that is what nailed my cover of Leonard Nimoy for the book. You've seen that, have you seen yeah, for that?
1: for the uh, I Am spock
0: book. Yeah, here's yeah here's a, a German version right there. Right, he's a photographer. Leonard's a photographer, yes, and and. Um, I remember turning back once in a while. He's just like, and that was why when I went up to talk to William, he, go, William was, he goes, William goes, he goes, Leonard thinks you're really good, like that. And I'm like, really? He goes, yeah, he thinks you're really good. He goes, I can't wait to see my photographs that you take of me, like that. Being Jeffrey Newberry back then, did I ever follow up on that? No. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, still, I mean, that's got to be an amazing compliment to hear. You know, the guy you grew up watching on TV saying that you're a great
0: photographer. Yeah, I didn't think of it that way. You know, I mean, yeah, it is a great compliment. And once again, I feel privileged to have been through this. You know, but um, I think the greatest compliment is when I actually get a call from fucking Leonard Nimoy. You know, (laughs) you know Jeffrey, and I'm up in San Francisco. I want you to shoot my cover of my autobiography, and I'm like, okay. You know, and I fly down. That's after the whole Trek issue and everything. And um, I ended up working with Leonard, I think, three different times. And even, I even went out to his Tahoe house one time to do some work with his wife and him. But uh, I was, when I was alone with Leonard Spock, you know, of course, they're actors. We all know that. But for us Trekkies, I'm a Trekkie. You know he's Spock, you know, and that's like on my website now. I just put that up a couple of months ago. I got I got the I got the hand, you know. I go Leonard, can we shoot your hand? I know we're shooting the, your portrait for the cover. I said, man, I just want a photograph of your the hand. And he's like, yeah. And I still remember focusing on that hand, thinking this is like the best. You know, I mean, for me, and it's just a damn hand. You know, but it was like, it was like, it's like kind of climbing the mountaintop, you know, and getting to a place that, and even though it was just a hand, it, it took, it took a while to get to that point to make a photograph of that hand, you know.
1: I mean, it's not but, just a hand, you know, though. It's the most important hand in the entire galaxy. Let's face it.
0: 100%. 100%. And always is going to be, always is going to be. Yeah, and, you
1: know, I want to come back to actually a few other photos you talked about, because we started showing off the magazine. You actually pulled up uh the first photo you pulled up of Avery Brooks. That was like one of my favorite photos that I saw that you did, because, uh, you know, Avery is, you know, as Captain Cisco, he's like yes. my favorite Starfleet captain. So that photo is just like you, you nailed his personality. You nailed so much about him and, and I, what I feel, at least oh, or what good. I perceive as who he is. And same with like the shot of the, the double exposure shot of Brent Spiner. Uh, some of that work with Michael Dorn as well. And the work with Michelle Nichols too. I mean, I just, those are shots that really stand out. And they have so much personality, but also so much like, so much truth to them also. And that's, you know, not to get all artsy, but that is kind of what you're doing. No. So you're kind of trying to cut through the bullshit to find the truth of your subject.
0: Yeah. And luckily I'm, I'm a Trek person too, you know, I mean, and I understand the message of what Star Trek I mean, we're all individuals, we all interpret it differently, you know, but um, there is a message, you know, I mean, Star Trek is probably one of the most progressive, well, you know, we have Netflix and all that. I mean, it's amazing the kind of programs that are going on right now, but um, Star Trek has always been, you know, a, uh, a like a messenger of time and space, you know, it's, it's something beyond, you know, and that's what we all love about it, right? But I appreciate that. Um, and back to Avery, you know, um, it kind of goes into my uh, w- your question about how I would get to, them to be allow me to photograph them, and you know, even with Avery, they're such nice people. I, ha- I always have to say that because I, you always feel that, you know. I mean, McDowell's a little bit of an ask. to ask about
1: the McDowell photos too, because those photos, uh, I I love them. Yeah. The kind of exactly. <laughs> It's pretty amazing, though, but he seemed like he's just kind of out there doing his own thing.
0: Yeah, he's just one of those guys, you know. He's like uh, – he's a Fred Durst of Limp Bizkit. He's – there's kind a, of a, there's of a few of them. They just don't care, you know. It's like, um, uh, you know, you get into tech. I'm just going to – real quick, you know. And uh, who's the, the CEO of Oracle again? I'm forgetting. You know, but I've done a lot of these portraits for in tech, in tech, right? And because after Hollywood, Silicon Valley was my next place. And uh, you know, I get the call from the magazine. No, oh, you're going to go photograph someone. So he's the CEO of Oracle, and uh, he goes. We just have to tell you that as soon as he hears that shutter click, he's gone. One click, <laughs> right? And then, and I'm like, no, that's not. That's that. Come on, you know cover shoot set up boom 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 dude walks out poof he's already walking away one (laughs) stroke hit he you put him in that genre too of these i don't care you know i'm just gonna you got the shot right well guess what i did my research with this guy this guy loved and i'm not a sports person so i'm gonna be a little bit out of it um the San Jose Hawks or something like that. I think it was hockey, right? Whatever it is. And, and I, because I, I was reading some stuff about him. And as soon as he was walking off my set, I go, hey, don't you like blah, blah, blah? I was faking it, right? And he kind of like, yeah, you like that stuff? And then next thing I know, he's back on my set and I shot three rolls of film. <laughs> And by, by the, the way, had I had totally interrupted program. your
1: story, too, because you're telling me about Avery Brooks. I totally want to hear that also. Uh, I want to make sure I don't forget oh. about that. Oh,
0: yeah. Well, you know, that particular shot, and you're right about that shot, um, because that's how I see him, too, you know, uh, as, as a Starfleet captain. And I think that's maybe, I'm not sure, you know, I just, when I was, you know, I'm down on the ground for that one. And that one's actually, I mean, that's a 24 millimeter lens, you know, so it's a, it's a wide lens, you know, and. Getting those hands that, to me, symbolize that power. You know that that he his character has such determination. You know, and and just like they all kind of do the Star Star Trek captains, but you know how he is. You know, and uh, yep. that's 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 why I did that photograph that way. But um, there's a lot of different stuff on him, though. You know, that's that I can't I can't wait to start expanding my galleries. I mean, I'm serious. You know, it's like just can I go get something really quick yeah sure do you, you i mean you're aware of my star trek poster the next gen poster right uh which next one generation poster i did No, i've only done one next generation poster um it's, it's the group the next generation cast it's on my website it opens up the website i think it became a poster and now is an M- nft which i guess we're going to talk about anyway so during that poster shoot and that was the cover oh yeah that was a cover of um Entertainment Weekly. It was a gatefold cover that went out with the cast. It was their very last photo shoot together because the show was ending. Shot that with an eight pin ten view camera, you know, because here I got seven people in line. They wanted them all lined up. I don't I'm, like, I'm not sure where that magazine is, but you know, it was a gatefold, so it filled it out where they were all across the, the both pages, you know. Yep. And I had to shoot it had to shoot an eight by ten on that because you can. Change the focus, but um, turned out fantastic. So then Patrick takes off, everybody else stays behind because I asked him and I've all already photographed these people before. So they kind of knew who I was. And I said, hey man, I wanna do some individual portraits of you guys, right? With an eight by 10 view camera. So these are all contact sheets. These are all contact sheets with an eight by 10 view camera. You know, let's oh, wow. say Brent Spiner. Yeah, and they just go on and on, you know, and on. It, but every one of them do that. Gates McFadden. You see what I'm getting at?
1: Yeah. So you got yeah, some kind no of master Gates. plan for these, I can tell.
0: Here's Michael Born. <laughs> <Thorne>. Here's Michael. <laughs> I love these of Michael because you know nobody hardly ever sees him out of costume, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, he's just a character, man. He's just.
1: I, I hate to make you like choose a favorite, but that is going to be the question here. Is you know, if you had to choose one among these many iconic signature photos that you've taken of the Star Trek crew, what would be the one? Maybe let's not even say your favorite, but the one that means the most to you. Let's let's do that way. Maybe what's the one that means the most to you? That's most important for you? That you're most happy with?
0: Trying to get me in trouble. i might be going back to hollywood you know (laughs) well let's put what was i'm gonna i'm gonna kind of categorize this from my own self um through your question and uh it's kind of like me talking about the spock's hand you know what it represented not not only because of of, because of, of the hand because of the symbol you know um And Leonard, I did like really photographing him. Um, Not that I don't like photographing all of them. But um, Leonard had a certain appreciation, and he didn't have to say it. It was this untold kind of communication about me being a photographer, right? Because he's a photographer. And we didn't even talk about that but I could feel it and I could see it in his eyes, you know, and that kind of gave a certain bond to him for me as one of the Star Trek actors. Um, and then you jump over to Patrick Stewart. It's Patrick Stewart. And see how, how I say that? And, uh, and I still feel that way about Patrick Stewart. He's probably one of the best actors on the planet, you know, uh, one of them, there's a lot of them, you know, but he's one of the masters, you know, and, um, and just to photograph him, he's so photogenic, right. You can do almost anything with the guy. And you're going to make a great photograph. You know, it's kind of like, uh, and I have some pretty interesting photographs of him. You talk about behind the scenes because I've, I've worked with Patrick, I think six times over the years, you know, I had his home phone number. I've been to his house You know, it's kind of like Patrick. uh, We got to do this photograph, blah blah blah, and he's like, "Well, I'm not at the studio. Come to my house." Okay, (laughs) go to his house. Can't say
1: no to that invitation.
0: Can you? Yeah. Can you call Jackie, which is his his assistant back? Can you call Jackie and see if that she can get the back room of uh, of my office cleared up so maybe we can do some shoots back there next? I go, "Okay, Jackie. Can you like?" He goes, "Okay, yeah, okay, Jeffrey." you know so here i got patrick in his tennis shoes and his jeans you know he's not even, he's not even picard
2: anymore
0: right he's just this it's interesting you know of um taking people out of character seeing people out of character and patrick is really one that is not really a, a picard in my in my mind i see him as picard and we all know him like that but he just nails that character. He just, in reality, he's Patrick. The guy is just, he's a—he's kind of like George Clooney. He's a joker, you know. He doesn't reveal himself that much to the public because uh, he keeps up that whole, you know, the star look, you know. That's always been an interesting thing with Hollywood for me. Anyway. Anyway,
1: what else? <laughs> so earlier in this interview, we mentioned that you are doing NFTs right now with these Star Trek photos. And uh, I do want to ask you something about that, but I want to make a little bit of a preface first to my audience out there. Because uh, I know and, and I understand there's a lot of Star Trek fans who are actually very much unhappy with the concept of NFTs. And even just recently, you know, when we're doing this interview, uh, Star Trek Mission Chicago just happened, which is the big Chicago Star Trek convention. And uh, there was an NFT booth there that was actually Paramount's NFT booth. And I was told by all accounts okay. it was the most unpopular booth there. It was noisy. People hated it, and it barely made any money too. It was they they, they had like a goal of certain monetary. I not any it. money either. <laughs> well, there you go. Yeah, but uh, you know, basically, <laughs> my question is, Sam. You know, well, first off, tell us a little bit about the NFT. Tell us where we can find these NFTs, but also kind of talk to us about, you know, why. Why NFTs? Because you know, for my money, I could tell you I'm still kind of on the fence about them as well. Uh, and I know if you did a book, like I'd buy a book in a heartbeat. But an NFT, I'm unsure about. So um, let's just let's just break this whole thing down.
0: Hey, man. Hey, I, I totally get your questions. And I, I was in that same place. And even though I have not sold an NFT yet, I do expect to, whether it's Star Trek or something else. Because I believe the NFT world, the non fungible token, especially in art, is just going to keep on going, you know here you've got the richest photographer ever now through the n f t world right he's passed up everybody. I forgot the guy's name but uh because in all honesty, I'm not a big fan of his work uh, don't Don't get me wrong if he's listening to this because he he's done these twin theories which are which are really spectacular in them in themselves, you know. And he's just one of these iconic kind of uh, uh, situations that the guy just became a multimillionaire overnight. you know. Um, now, I chose, when I decided to do NFTs, and I'm doing more, uh, I'm going to do more series of different shoots because I want to give, not only do I want to sell my work, and I should back up after that statement so that, you of the audience can understand what I'm doing with my archives is that I'm actually selling my archives. And uh, pre-COVID was going very well for me. Um, I sold Stephen Jobs. I sold Tupac Shakur and I had another pending sale and then COVID got that one and COVID now I'm just kind of seeing the light of the end of the tunnel. But with selling those shoots to very reputable buyers doing something real with that photography. I mean, I'm serious, you know, and that's how I want my photography to be used. How, how I want it to be remembered, um, whatever, you know, the legacy. (laughs) Like NFT is becoming that for many artists that never had a gallery, never had a book, didn't even have a career, let's say. You know, um, the reason I ended up going with Star Trek for my first NFT launch on OpenSea, it's called uh, Star Trek Editions, um, is because I felt it was almost too perfect for me. Here I have all this Star Trek material and Star Trek for me represents, um, I've used it before, the terminology time, space, infinity. Star Trek would not exist if it exists, if it truly exists without technology. Technology is what makes Star Trek. You're not going to have that spacecraft going out to other galaxies and meeting other worlds and being beamed up. NFT is a beam up. I'm serious. That's what an NFT is. Here you got Captain Picard, here one minute, beam me up. The next thing. He's over here on a spaceship. How did that happen? Technology. That's what NFT is. It's technology. It's taken a physical image and taken it into the computer, into a system. Of course, it, we're all looking at it's a it's a JPEG, but that's not really what it is. It's a digital entity now, right? And that digital entity can be that physical. Uh, nft can be owned by someone and now it has what do you call it the, um you resell it and the artist gets another 10 percent, and it keeps on going forever forever right that's why i like my star trek becoming the first my first nft does it make sense
1: yeah, and and I will say, you know, there are definitely pros and cons to it, and I can understand why. Especially, you know, I've seen a lot of photographers gravitate and a lot of other artists gravitate to NFTs, but you know, it's it's on the other hand when you see companies, big big companies, who are jumping on the bandwagon, that sort becomes a questionable venture, in my opinion, more so than a singular artist like yourself doing that.
0: Yeah, no, I get that too. But what else is new, right? I mean, yeah, exactly. the corporate. Yeah, you know, the corporate world is is. You know, it's like I was talking to somebody over lunch yesterday about because uh, they, they, of all things, they're they're like they're like on T-Mobile and they're like, you know, I'm going to change my cell plan and what cell plan are you on? I'm saying like I'm on AT and T because I I've had the first iPhone and the first iPhone was AT and T right and I'm still on AT and T. They're like, you're on AT and T, you pay so much money, right? And I'm like, yeah, it's not cheap, you know. And it's like, yeah, I pay this much on T-Mobile and and they're like, you know. Um, I'm going to jump over to this one. And I'm like, I'm like, well, I think actually AT&T just bought T-Mobile. And they're like, no, they didn't. so I Googled it right at the table, you know, and yeah, they just bought T-Mobile for like, what was it? $22 billion, $22 billion, you know? And you think about, it brought me into the mindset of remembering one time talking with somebody else. And I think it actually was in LA about, how powerful these corporations are, you know, I mean, of course they're going to do an NFT, but it's kind of like, I remember the, the example this person was giving me goes like, you know, we're not going to go blow up Russia. You know why? i like, why? Because at and is going to step in and go, Hey man, we have way too much billions of dollars of infrastructure. and You're not going to take over Russia. We're going to stop you. You know, and it's kind of like, Corporations have become governments almost, you know, they rule governments now. That's my answer to them <laughs> jumping into an NFT. I know it's a long-winded one, but, you know, that's and, and in all our, well, I think, I think actually corporations will probably do some pretty interesting stuff with NFTs. NFT is, is such a, in, a new thing, you know, it's like uh, the sky is the limit and there's things that obviously we're none of us are going to even dream of about, except for the perfect dreamers, like an elon musk kind of person who totally embraces nfts of course you know and cyber money um uh, that's that's where the true growth comes from it's not from me someone a damn photograph on there you know it's like uh, it comes from the corporations you know and the big money
1: so, Jeffrey, as we're kind of coming to a close of this interview today here, you know, I, I like to ask my guests usually some career advice, but, you know, I don't really want to get, like, beginner's advice in this case because this is, you know, you're you're a professional. You've been doing this for many, many decades. Um, so I think I want to kind of take this to the question of, you know, let's talk about a photographer who wants to make a leap from being an amateur photographer or being a young professional or just maybe even a serious hobbyist. And how do they take the steps to, I don't want to necessarily say get to where you are, but how do they take the steps to level themselves up and kind of turn their hobby into a profession and a successful profession?
0: Determination. You know, I mean, um, and I have a a perfect example of that. My oldest daughter's half-sister, who's an RN, has just started becoming a photographer and she's good. And she's out in Providence, Rhode Island, and she's starting to do weddings now. She's starting to do portraits um technology has has shortened a curve for her you know because she can dial in an app and make it look sepia she can you know all these kind of things right um but i think that i can only go from my own personal experience of what i did uh and make that recommendation which is you got a photograph every day you uh hopefully you have a printer because true photography to me is something that you hold, right? Um, It's great having a computer, it's great producing galleries. Um, And for me, being a film-based, educated photographer, when I look at a computer screen right now and see a photograph, it's more like looking at a transparency for me on a light table. That's how we see it, you know? It's it's not even a digital image, and I look and I shoot digital. I I got all kinds of digital shit now, you know, but um, it's still not film. Uh, but digital has really been uh, progressing. I mean, incredibly. But um, so I think that in truth, I mean, you can't get anywhere in any profession if you don't work your ass off. You might have good breaks you know, and there are good breaks, but those breaks are only going to be there because you brought notice probably to yourself somehow, you know? So, I mean, the only way you, you can become a better photographer is by photographing more. That's a bottom line. It's a bottom line. And you, and you look at your photography that you, you've done and, um, you think about it, you analyze it, you wonder why you did it. You wonder why it's successful. Why does it look cool? Why doesn't it look cool? Whatever, you know. And, um, you know, for me, photography has always been an exploration. It always, it, it still is. You know, <clears throat> I just had my first grandchild. And I flew out to North Carolina to meet her. That was like about two months ago. She's only like three months old. So she was only like three weeks old, I think. And uh, my daughter, Arielle, she wanted me to photograph her. I was kind of 50-50 on it. <laughs>
1: That's a very daunting test. <laughs> I,
0: I brought my gear with me. I'm not going to do baby pictures, right? <laughs> <laughs> no. So here's what I did. And this comes from shooting my ass off for 40 years. Shooting digital. I took it. I set it up for three exposures. Later, You can see what I like to do with that anyway. Now, and and I and I shot the way I would shoot polarograph Polograph, even though it's a very high contrast film <clears throat> when you start changing the exposure whether you're doing it through the shutter or the or the uh light or whatever you're doing it's like it starts it starts to develop certain qualities that you never expect and that's what I love about it right the digital world you can do the same thing and I'm and I'm finally getting a handle on that so I set my camera up and she's laying there and I take the camera and I just kind of let it be there. I know it sounds strange. It's kind of like how I said, there's a feeling when you're doing a portrait, right? I was looking for a feeling and, and, I, and I started clicking and I'm looking down at her and I knew that I had a wide angle lens on. And so, and I knew I was doing multiple exposures. So I'm going ahead and twisting my camera and moving it around because, but I don't care about where the exposures land. I want the camera to show me where they land. I want to be, wow, look at that, right? And so I'm doing the dialing with different shutter speeds, slowing the shutter down, the whole thing. I look at these files, maybe after about two minutes of doing it, and boom, there's the image. I mean, I'm not joking. It was just this most incredible multiple exposure image of how I was actually feeling about her when I first met her and first seen her, which was, she was struggling in her infant body, right? She just became out of the womb and into the world. And you could see it in, in some infants, man. I mean, she was just like, what is going on? You know, really? And that's how that photograph came out. It It, it had this quality about, she had two heads all of a sudden. And I mean, it was just all this stuff, you know, and it was like there, that image for me was what nailed my experience with her, you know. Now, that's kind of an answer to that question is that you have to be open. The camera is a tool, you know, and but that tool, man, it can, it can do a lot of things and experimentation, I think is, I don't even care if you want to do you know I went to school with a lot of people you know and some people are like Ansel Adams I studied the zone system, you know they're traditionalists and there's nothing wrong with that they want to make the most perfect tonal photograph of that you know whatever it might be they just want it, a landscape or a part they just it's got be i'm not like that I'm just the opposite almost although I still consider doing that in my in my own realm you know but um but no matter what discipline in photography you're going to take and what interests you you still should be experimenting you know in that in that discipline that 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 aesthetic that you've chosen you know and um if you don't know what the aesthetic is and many people don't i mean you got to find your style your place whatever i don't know um but once again that's only going to take feeling what your photographs are i talk about feeling it's it's a truth i mean for me it's um uh, you know, when you when you find an image that just you're like, oh, man, you know, and then the trick is, is to hold on to that place. Then you can keep continuing it.
1: So, you know, and Jeffrey, by the way, while we were doing this interview, I got an email from Entertainment Weekly because they knew I was talking to you. And they told me that they want you to now shoot the, uh, the next photo shoot for the Star Trek Picard TV show. So what are you going to do? How would you shoot a modern Star Trek show?
0: Um, I'd have to talk to the client. And see what they want. Yeah, I mean, and then I would work from that uh, within that context. You know, I mean, of course, I've I've done a lot of Star Trek. You know, but um, it's a different different day now. You know, and it's kind of like uh, I wouldn't be I wouldn't be glued to what I've done before unless they wanted me to, be, to do something that was maybe reminiscent to that. You know, but uh, and then again, of course, it's just me. It's kind of like any photographer. You can have. Avedon, who of course isn't alive right now, or say Dan Winters, or all these amazing photographers out there, and and they already know kind of what they're. I would know what I was going to do, but I would still bring in. I hope what I explained to you how I photographed my first granddaughter, a little bit of wonder, a little bit of experimentation, you know, letting something else come from that, you know, so that all of us can learn from it. I know this sounds kind of I don't know, but that's oh, kind know, of what way it you is. Mean, although
1: yeah. It would be kind of yeah. interesting to see how you would shoot Star Trek today because I think most of the stuff you did for you know, those magazines we just looked at were all, you know, traditional photo, 35 millimeter. This will be, you know, the first, would, would this actually be the first time if this was to happen? Uh, would this actually be the very first time you ever shot a Star Trek crew with digital tools?
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's all been film. Film still dictates uh, how I shoot, even even in the digital realm. Um, and I think it's a big benefit for me, the uh, to have a film base, shooting digital, it's like I, I just, when I explained how I photographed my da- granddaughter, you know, it's like everything, you can see things so quickly, you know, and you kind of bounce off of it. You react to that too, and then you can manipulate things and change things very fast, you know. That's, that's the beauty for me about digital. Luckily, I've been shooting digital now since what? Well, since dot .com what was that 1999 that's when it all changed that's when when all my clients in new york were wanting to get away with you know they wanted to shoot digital and i'm like but i don't shoot digital (laughs) i have to learn photoshop and go out and buy my first canon d20 (laughs) you know like i shot bill gates with a d20 wow that was a that was a very early digital shoot for me you know i get a i get a call to go up and photograph the bill, you know, and I owned a D20, you know, it was at seven megapixel, you know, <laughs>
1: a whopping seven and, megapixels.
0: Uh, yeah. Well, luckily, luckily we have like to- Google Topaz now and all that good stuff. But you know, you, you look at the cameras they were sending up to Venus to those asteroids and stuff, you know, I think they were like 2.5 megapixel. <laughs> <laughs> now my cameras are like my 35 is like what 52 megapixel. I mean, it's just incredible, you know,
1: what matters most is not the megapixel, (laughs) but the person behind
0: the megapixel. That's right. Hey, man, it's like I said, shooting the iPhone last night. And have you seen Nick Knight's new work of his roses? I have not yet. Yeah, he shot it all uh, with an iPhone during COVID. And uh, I mean, the guy's like one of the the most amazing photographers on the planet, you know, but um, what he did with an iPhone shooting these roses, and then he brought it into Google Topaz To make prints as big as this window back there, you know, astounding, beautiful images. Just, man, I look at them, I just gives me goosebumps, man. Just incredible, you know.
1: So, Jeffrey, last question for today: What is the best thing about being a part of the Star Trek universe?
0: You know, that's a good question, and I'm happy to answer it. And I think that what really brought me into the trek world besides photographing it was was the trek poster i talked about producing that was back in 94 of the next generation cast and uh, i decided to go to trek conventions with it right and i went to many to sell the poster working photographer and i went out and i hung out with all the trekkies <laughs> you know you know and there would be gates might be there or you know, uh, LeVar Burton might be there or something, you know. And, but um, in tr- truth, when, when I had people come up to buy that and they talked to me about, just like we're talking right now, about Star Trek and about everything that is about Star Trek, and then they were buying this poster and, you know, it um, things gelled together for me, the Star Trek world. You know, you got to have the audience, you have us, you know, and uh, uh, the industry that produces Star Trek, I mean, it's an industry, you know, it's a a monster machine. It's just truly incredible, you know, but uh, it comes down to, you know, it's like you listen to musicians talk. Well, we can't do anything without selling the record and the listener is, why we do it, you know, and it's the same way, you know, but so when I did that poster, though, and it brought me into meeting a lot of Trekkies, it was great. You know, it was like I felt I felt connected then, you know, I still do. I still do. I hope this even brings more connection. I really do, because I've been alone here for two years up here in the, up here in the mountainside <laughs> in COVID. <laughs> you know, it's like, it gets lonely. <laughs>
1: I mean, it's a great view. I'm just That's waiting for the truth, like the gorn to pop out from behind you or something and just throw a rock at your window.
0: <laughs> well, man, it's. Um, herds of deer come through here every day. Herds of javelina. You know what a javelina is?
1: I javelina um, not.
0: <laughs> look it up. It's your <laughs> own species. It's a. It's, it, it looks like a cross between a a giant rodent to a giant pig, but it's it's a javelina. You know. I gotta look. There, up there's a ton. Yeah, you got to. It's it's an incredible thing. They're here. Every day I see all that stuff. You know, they, the Sonoran Desert is just spectacular. You know, I think we're up almost at 3,000 feet here, you know. So that took some getting used to. I'm sure. Took me about three months about, like, why am I feeling so weird, you know. <laughs> but... Uh... <laughs>
1: So for folks who have been enjoying the video version of this podcast, they've been seeing a lot of the photos on screen as we talk about them. But if you're listening to the audio version, or if you do just want to see a whole lot more of Jeffrey's work, go to his website at JeffreyNewberry.com. We're going to have links for that, of course, in the show notes. And Jeffrey, just one more time also, uh, what is the website for your NFTs?
0: It's uh, OpenSea. Uh, The website's OpenSea, which is a NFT site. You would search for uh, Star Trek Editions. That's the gallery or the site the, I forget. They have all these different terminologies on these sites and I'm still not, I'm still getting a handle on, you know, but that's basically the gallery within the ocean sea NFT site. And there's many sites right now that are popping up, you know, but that's the one I'm with right now. See how that goes. Yeah. Go take a look at it, man. It's um, I'd love to get some feedback on it. I know that some of it might seem pricey, but um, it's an investment. That's how I see it. And and I know from my my past sales that weren't NFTs, um, I'm not trying to make a sales pitch. It's it's just that I had to come up with a price somewhere. And the way the NFT works now, by resell is such a big thing in them. You know, you, you get one guy, a collector buying it. Next thing you know, it's been sold 10 times in two months. You know, it's just it's just the way they work, you know.
1: So, yeah, if you're interested in the Star Trek NFTs, then go ahead. That You guys know where to check them out now. Uh, you know, Jeffrey it's been really wonderful <laughs> talking to you today and you know we, we talked about how you kind of find the, those moments with your subjects and uh, it, it's easy to see how you're able to connect with them because you know just talking to you today I, I just feel so open and, and easy to chat with you about anything really so uh, you know thank you for the wonderful Damn, work on Star about. Trek and all yeah. especially for dropping in. I can be this, your
0: psychologist
1: <laughs> <laughs> <So> thank <laughs> you for all your work at Star <laughs> Trek <laughs> clients and, and thank you also for just giving us all of your photo knowledge today very much appreciated uh, it's been great talking to you thank
0: you Thank you. We'll talk
1: again. That's it for this week's episode of Trek Untold, and thank you for checking it out. One more time, if you're not following us on social media, please do so by checking us out on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Trek Untold. That's all one word, no spaces on any of those platforms. If you want to check out the video version of this podcast to see our guests, head over to youtube.com slash today, where I post the video version of this show every Sunday after the initial episode airs on Thursdays. Shout out to our sponsor, Triple Fiction Productions, who create 3D printed toys and prop replicas inspired by Star Trek. Their items come in all shapes and all sizes and are always amazing. If you're in a position to financially support Trek Untold, please consider heading over to patreon.com slash trek to become one of our Patreon supporters. There's a lot of cool perks that you can get by becoming a Patreon supporter, including early access to the episodes, the ability to ask our guests questions, and a lot more cool stuff coming very soon. Please consider leaving a rating and review on iTunes or any other audio platforms that you listen to the show on that allow you to do so. Or if you're one of our YouTube audience members, please make sure you comment on this video and give it a thumbs up, and don't forget to subscribe to our channel. Until next time, I'm Matthew Kaplowitz. This has been Trek Untold, and remember, fortune favors the bold.
2: Trek Untold is sponsored by treksphere.com. Promoting fan-produced Star Trek content in all forms. Is powered by the Rageworks Podcasting Network and is affiliated with Nerd News Today.